Hi, it's Michael Kerr here presenting Small Business Banter. A healthy micro and small business sector means a successful economy and a more vibrant society. Small Business Banter is about helping regional business owners better prepare for current challenges, but also for the next stage of business success. I'm Michael Kerr, founder of Kerr Capital, advisors to business owners. Each week, I interview a fellow small business owner or an expert, and they share their stories, their lived experiences, the wins and the losses, and their best advice to help you, the listener, get the most you can from your own business. Small Business Banter is brought to you from the studios of 104.7 Gippsland FM and is heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And thanks also to Kerr Capital, supporters of the show. Welcome into another edition of Small Business Banter Community Radio and Podcast. Um, today, I very pleased to welcome in Yaz from Circonomy, which um, you might otherwise know as uh, the world's biggest garage sale. So welcome in Yaz, firstly. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. As always, I'm, I'm terribly excited about chatting to business owners that operate under very different models of ownership and, and about sharing their experiences. So so great to have you on. I know you've got an in- incredibly intensive week. It is now Circonomy, but it was world's biggest garage sale up until not very long ago. And so you're in the middle of a, a current pretty hectic period. So really appreciate you taking time, yes. Um, it's my pleasure. What, what we're going to drill into today is your experience as a, as a business owner across a lot of different facets, you know, employee, licensee, business owner, founder, um, mentor, so you've done a lot of stuff, and um, but we're gonna we, we want to drill down on on your ex, on your experience in growing Circonomy via a partnership with a mm-hmm. with Officeworks, and uh, and and particularly also uh, earlier days your experience of getting out. I think it was in between businesses taking a family gap year, recharging, refreshing. They're the sort of main themes. But do you want to give us a little bit about your your background, please? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I, I realised the other day that it's actually been 30 years since my first job. So <laughs> there's an age you can approximate. Um, but I was a pizza delivery driver originally um, while at school, finishing year 12. And uh, in hindsight, I realise now, and probably about 10 years ago, I realised that Kerry, my manager, was actually my first mentor. So to go into um, pizza delivery in year 12 and have someone that really understands and, and acknowledges your drive and passion is, is a real game changer. It completely changed the trajectory of my career and, in fact, my entire um, pathway professionally in, in the workforce. Um, instead of going to uni, which I thought I would, I ended up um, taking on a permanent full-time role as a manager um, of a Silvio's Dollar Pizza store at Ipswich in 1994. So, um, you know, that was a good trajectory and probably from then it was the paving pattern for my um, career as what I call now a real entrepreneur. Like I think from the moment I was the the manager of that store, I was treated like 
and encouraged to act like an owner. So I actually feel like I've been a business owner for 30 years and it's just been through this enablement of leaders who have seen something in me and believed in me. And I really do believe that small businesses play a big part in um, birthing our future business leaders, whether they stay yeah. in our businesses and be our entrepreneurs or go to their own mm. businesses and become entrepreneurs. So they sustain, uh, they it, sustain most mm. local communities and you call them a small business. They could be a, a mutual, it could yeah. be a social enterprise, could be mm. a, just a, a, you know, garden variety, uh, small business, mm. but yeah, you're absolutely right on that. Yeah. And I think there's that, what I like about what you just said is there's this beautiful authenticity that no matter how big you might become, if you stay small in your mind, connect to your customers and totally engage in what I now call customer intimacy, so it's evolved from customer service then to customer experience, well, now we proudly call it customer intimacy. And when you had a Love Heart logo for your brand, it's really easy to talk about feelings in business and it doesn't sound as crazy. But if you can just imagine humans um, we are all one person and we are someone at home and often we leave that very real person at home when we come to work. Well, I'm more about how do you bring that whole human to work and bring your whole self, you know, warts and all, flaws and all, cracks yeah. and crevices and all. And so for me, I think small businesses are a big enabler for that and and I'm unapologetic about the fact that I'm far from perfect. I fail every day. And providing the team around me acknowledges my imperfections as much as their own, then it can usually be a really harmonious evolution of small business travelling their trajectory to create jobs and community. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of other things you've done. But I I do want to pick up Mm. on that comment, you know, that small business ownership mindset that you had. Now, not not everybody has that, but we need more of it. Because when you know these, uh, and and we'll so we'll come back to that. But uh, mm. maybe it was innate for you. Maybe um, it was learned. What whatever. Um, so so then so you you started in that uh, pizza business. Uh, I think you went on to um, in AV uh, audio visual technology. Yeah, AV, yeah, audio visual. I went and um, worked for a, an amazing company called Video Pro. It's a Queensland owned and operated business. They've been around forty years now, and I started there. Gosh, in the late nineteen nineties, maybe ninety seven or ninety eight. Again, still a real young. 21-year-old, excitable, energised, you know, driven woman in a male-dominated industry where I realised that. (laughs) You you came out of another male-dominated industry as well, right, pizza? (laughs) I know. I think I'm just constantly attracted to these (laughs) male-dominated industries. I think even as a founder, female founders are rare. Um, But, look, I think what I love is I was brought up to never think that being a female was any less nor any better and that we just were all equal. So I think I just always saw myself as level and I had amazing male mentors at that business that, again, act like an owner was one of the things that was constantly said Mm. to me. And I remember, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm a real... um, I just say a lot of things and then I like to set myself challenges. So if I say it, I have to actually deliver on it. And what I love is um, I remember having to calculate how much market share we had at the time in schools for audiovisual and I went and had to calculate manually via these reams of paper how many sales were made to schools. And when I found out the answer and it was like maybe like 100 grand or something, I don't know at the time, but it was a really low number. And, um, and they said to me, okay, what's your budget? 
what are you going to sell this year? And I said, oh, a million dollars. (laughs) (laughs) 10x increase, yeah. 10x, it's totally in my blood, right? And I thought, yeah, a million sounds impressive. I can do a million (laughs) dollars. Anyway, um, in the first year we did a million dollars. So, you know, and then it just grew from there. And I I think because I was so supported and and honestly always championed, and I'm quite intense and I have immense energy and it can either um, energise or exhaust people. It doesn't yeah. usually do one or the other, like anything yeah. in between. But I just had people around me that were already legendary at their jobs. So for me, I just felt like they were the beacons of light that I could constantly evolve my own skills and learn from. And I was thrusted books in my face and I read them and I acted on them and I just felt like I had this amazing lived experience education by doing the doing rather than just reading the theory. And that for me has been a big part of my learning style that I've enabled and, and just owned. And then, yeah, look, it's, it's, um, it is highly energetic. I love it. Um, But, and so then I I think that there's a couple of other um, positions or, or experiences you've had that's going to semi-complete the picture. One, uh, you're, Mm. you're actively involved as a mentor, and a, as a uh, she EEO SHEO activator for for, yeah, for yeah, women globally, yeah, I am. So so that like we can come back to that as well. So that like I'd see maybe where that came from with you know kind of starting where you did in those couple of very male dominated mm-hmm. industries and in, and seeing the potential and 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 probably having a family environment that encouraged that. So mm-hmm. then um and and then like not the certainly not the end, but the the most recent one was was starting. At the time, world's biggest garage sale as a social yeah. enterprise, and mm-hmm. then getting to a point where there was this uh, alignment between yourself and, and OfficeWorks. To you can tell us the history of yeah. world's biggest garage sale, why you got started, what it was all about. Like, I love the idea that we don't that the small business isn't necessarily constrained by the owner. Or mm-hmm. whatever whatever the constraints are, but you you know you've kind of developed this wonderful partnership between big and small. So tell us about what is now called Circonomy. Yeah, oh, look, what I love about this is um, the the journey of World's Biggest Garage Sale actually started in 2013. I was still employed at the time. I was in in a business and working for somebody and. What I love is that I was also a triathlete and I was, you know, we were all trying to raise money for charity at the time and so I was baking cupcakes and doing all sorts of things. And but, I could but see not eating them as a triathlete in oh, training. Oh, no, we <laughs> ate them. We train them off. You can eat whatever you like when you're a triathlete. True, true. It's great. But um, what, I, what I remember happening was uh, I could see people getting maybe a little bit tired of my baking. <laughs> And I thought, how do you how do you raise money without asking people for money? Because I was really driven to support cancer research. My mother had breast cancer at a very young age. It's very close to my heart. And um, and I thought, got to make money. How do we make money with all, with all these other charities asking for money? Surely there's a better way. And I thought, well, I'll just have a garage sale. I'll sell all my own stuff that's sitting idle and dormant around my house, and I will make a few thousand dollars and give it away. So when I told all my friends I was going to have a garage sale, of course, I called it the world's biggest garage sale, created a Facebook page back in 2013, <laughs> set up a Facebook event. And then I went back to my old Silvio's days, which is now Domino's, of course. And I let a box drop to my neighborhood 
to tell them about this garage sale. And so while you were while you were um, doing a like a bike training exercise or something, yes, while I was training to to, (laughs) yes, while I was training to ride my bike to Townsville, actually. So um, I think um, you know I like to juggle lots of balls, um, and the garage sale was really exciting. I thought it was a cool name at the time, and we started to fill the garage so much that we couldn't actually have the garage sale in the garage anymore. And so I think partnerships, this is an important story, partnerships for me, doing business that isn't about yourself is the way I like to do business. I like to think that anybody that I like to work with in business is going to get as much out of doing business with me as either their servant leader or their salesperson or their relationships manager, whatever it is, the role, as I will get from them. So I'm not looking for a deal as in a transactional value. I'm always looking for the relational value. I care so much more about the stickiness of how do humans really connect and do good. So when my garage was chockers, I had to get all this stock, stock stuff from my garage to this hall down the road because we couldn't have the garage sale in my garage. So I rang Mini Movers at the time and said, look, we're having this event, it's charity, can you please help us out? Can we get a couple of trucks and loads and some guys or girls to help us move it all in one foul swoop rather than me doing 50 trailer loads, which was just going to cost too much time and kill all my volunteers and friends. So many movers said yes on that day and literally moved everything for us in two trucks to the hall and we set it up with Domino's Pizza for dinner <laughs> and um, we, we did an all-nighter that night, a whole bunch of us, and we ended up opening up at 6am the next morning and sold $15,000 worth of stuff in a single day. And all I could think the whole time, and I was literally sitting on the toilet with $10,000 stuffed down my pants. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, imagine if we did this properly. That's all I could think. I wasn't celebrating the awesomeness of 15 grand. I was thinking, gosh, we could do so much more if I actually spent some real proper time on this. So, Did you go 10x you know, again and say I can do 150 yeah. next time? <laughs> Total 10x. So I thought to myself, how's that for irony actually? Because the next year we, we I took a year off my, oh, sorry, I would take a month off my job every year for the next couple of years to donate my time to pulling together a garage sale. Yeah, okay. And the second year we did 60 grand. The third year we did almost nine, oh, just under 90 actually, almost 100. So I rounded up. Mm. We wanted to do 100. We didn't quite make it. But um, that was the year that I decided, A, to go around Australia on a family gap year, and B, the plan was to come back and do another garage sale, but we skipped it in 2016. And then in 2017, I came back on the back of a trip I had to make for work. I was working for an employer at the time. And all I could think was the garage sale work I did and what I could see for circular economy and for businesses and consumers globally in this reuse area was so big I had to tackle the problem. And so I quit my job, went all in, no plan B, no business plan, and I literally just started the business officially in September 2017. It's almost um, five years to the day. Yeah, uh, there, there must have been some underlying confidence in yourself that you could make it work, I'm guessing. And on today's edition of um, Small Business Banter Community Radio and Podcast, Yaz in from Serconomy. You were just about to start talking about the genesis and and, the, and uh, probably day yeah. one of, you know, Serconomy. Mm. 
Yeah, day one was interesting because I quit my job because someone said to me, you've built a business, you're making all this money, you give it all away to charity, which is fine, but look at the underlying challenges that you're solving for businesses and consumers. And I knew, I started to do a lot of research around circular economy, around charities, around all these different enterprises that played in the secondhand space. And it's funny because I was working for a company at the time, a tech company, and I had to go over to... And, and while I was working for that company, and we can segue into this shortly, I was travelling in a caravan around Australia, working full-time and fully flexibly for this business long before COVID. So that was kind of what I, how I was working. And on the back of that um, trip around Australia, I had to go to Infocom in the US, which is, was in Florida that year, and I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to be in the US at the same time as this rotary Um, club garage sale is held on Bainbridge Island off Seattle. So I said to my boss, I'll work at Infocom. I'm going to bring my family. We're going to do some of the worlds. And then I'm going to go and volunteer at the Bainbridge Island Rotary Auction and Rummage Sale. They had been doing this garage sale on this tiny little island with 24,000 people for almost 50, 60 years. It was about 58 years at the time. All I thought was, I'm going to go tell them we're the world's biggest garage sale, be really authentic and tell them how we've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars and how I want to learn from them and bring it back to Australia and help continue to grow what we did. But what happened was that the 10 days of volunteering there just completely transformed my mindset. I got to experience it like I was a resident and they treated us like we were, um, well, A, a bit famous, it was kind of cute, but they actually treated us like we were a part of their community. And we could literally, they were so welcoming and shared everything with us, their experiences, their highs, their lows. But what triggered it for me was probably going all the way back to my business acumen was that I was taught from a young age. 24,000 people lived on the island. It took them, say, 10 days, two weeks to pull this garage sale together. On one day, thousands of people shopped and they raised $579,000 in one day. And all I thought was, oh, my gosh, they have 24,000 people. We have 2 million in Brisbane. Surely we can do a million dollars one day in a world's biggest garage sale. That's all I could think is the brain just went into this multiplier mode and I took our experiences plus their experience and just came back and literally quit my job. Right. And was it was their, their motivations what for, for doing what they did for 60 years? Like was it part, like part community event, part recycling, part yep. fundraising? Is it? Uh, yeah, all three. Exactly the collision. Yeah. And also bringing community together. Yeah. There's volunteers who are five and there's volunteers who are 90 mm. all coming together on a two-week mission to raise money for this island to save products going to landfill. And it's so funny because I got to hear stories of products that were sold over and over and over <laughs> again. And the circular economy was alive on this island. I was and just I thinking just, the same thing on an oh, island that, you know, goes from yes. one side of the street to the other because, you know, now they've got a need for yes. it. Yeah. Well, one guy told me his wife has bought the item that he keeps donating at least four times over the last <laughs> 10 years. Uh, All I wanted to know was the data. I thought, imagine if there was traceability on these products and we could understand the owners and see where they're going and understand which products have longevity and which which ones don't. They sell cars. People donate cars. Yeah. And it's just mind-blowing. So that energy was ignited in me and I came back and just thought, this is a no-brainer. We have to do this here in this country. 
And so that's kind of the beginning of world's biggest garage sale. And then I, I was fortunate to, you know, navigate my way through a whole bunch. We did another event. We did $150,000 at our first official garage sale, which of course was 10 times the first 15 grand, which was yeah, really exciting. Very neat. But I knew we could do more. I just knew that there was more to it and I knew we couldn't be a charity. I knew we had to stay a small business and I knew we absolutely needed to have social enterprise and impact at the heart because we could not fully commercialise and become, you know, I suppose a version of anything else that's commercial out there and we couldn't be a charity because it would have been just too constricting and restricting because we were already helping charities we needed to be that more agile player in the market that could disrupt and erupt but grow not an enterprise that could you know sit at the top of the pile but an enterprise that could capture everybody and take us all on the journey so that the rising tide would lift all boats yeah that i mean that that's where social enterprise or variations on that model you know it is because full-on free enterprise you've can you've got whoever you've got to account to shareholders you know and there mm-hmm. and there's it's quite can be quite singular and then at the other mm-hmm. end just straight out um, charities or not for profits do wonderful work but uh, you know they've got funders and and there's a lot more I think hierarchy and structure in the way things are done so if, as you yes. said nimble agile uh, inclusive um, purpose f- at the forefront so yeah, and, and, and again, unapologetic, I suppose in a lot of ways, you know, it really came to the forefront for me to understand myself a lot more. I think that the biggest work I've done over the years is not actually in the business. It's actually been on myself and accepting my strengths and weaknesses. You know, mine was the report card that said, Yasmin talks too much in class. Yasmin is too loud. Yasmin, you can't be in the choir because your voice is just not you know, blending in with everybody else. You, you, you're you too much, you're too big, you're too bold, you're too, all these different things. And I actually think we all live with labels of too shy, too small, too weak, like whatever the things that people tell you you are, mm. you, you actually might be some of those things. But I always talk about the B2 movement. Like I want to be too much because that's my strength. I want to be too loud because someone needs to speak up. I want to be too fast because someone has to be at the front running the race faster. And that does not make me better than anybody else that does the opposite to too slow has strength, too quiet has strength. And I'm t- I'm probably quite tired of this be this being too of all these things being a negative thing, I actually want to convert it into being you. Like be you, that's your strength. And I own that as my strength. So I think that that resolve of accepting me has been a big part of me owning my lane as a founder and being able to say, well, yeah, I'm going to speak up and, yes, I'm going to say yes and I'm going to then back it up and execute because I'm good at that. And then the things I'm not good at, I'm going to wrap around this amazing team of people who are so much smarter. Um, They fill my black holes and cracks and they then help me, they poke and prod enough to challenge me to change because change is actually the constant that we need to connect to mostly because world's biggest garage sale today is not what it was five years ago or even nine years ago and I'm extremely accepting and excited by its evolution and that would be something for me with all small business and big business owners uh, any business owner um, change is the constant and being able to transition the change 
is actually what can make or break you. Yeah, and, and it's where it's where there's a the handbrakes can come on for for mm-hmm. the you know, and, and sometimes it's a good if an owner you talked about awareness mm-hmm. and I, I'm I'm intrigued as to with all of what goes on where you find the time to 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 reflect and do all that you know mm-hmm. and, and come back and say look I, I want to do things differently but um yeah that when um this is this is a conundrum um for founders in and small business you get to a point where it's outside of your control mm-hmm. and you're either mm-hmm. gear up and you bring in some other people mm-hmm. or you decide and I love this when uh, no it's it's serving its purpose for me Mm. And I'm happy with that. And yes, everyone can tell me it could be bigger and more efficient. But if if you're conscious, that that word's really important. If you're conscious about that, mm. and it works for you, good on you. You know that's that's what we want. Because, but then this this kind of next stage where, as a founder, um, recognizing that you're maybe don't have everything you need to take it. That there's going to be an opportunity lost if we don't. T- take it mm. where it could go. So that's mm. where letting go a bit is is a real it's a real battle. It is. It's actually it, it's actually the number. If, if I can teach anyone anything through my lessons learned, is as a founder, I will not lie, and I would rather be really authentic about it. It 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 it, it is very. I call it gritty, shitty, and unpretty. Right? That it's it. not. It's not awesome. It's awful at times and it's it can be both the hardest and most hellish thing you ever do unfortunately that's all we've got time for today um that and that's where we're going to leave that really engaging personal discussion with yasmin grigolinas the founder of seconomy at least for today over the next two weeks of small business banter we'll play out the rest of the discussion next week yas will dig down on how she made that partnership with uh officeworks happen warts and all the week after we'll finish off with some really personal insights um that have shaped her approach to business and that she would share in the spirit of open with other business owners in in encouraging them to take their business to where they want to take it. So that is all for today's episode of Small Business Banter. I continue to be inspired bringing you small business experts and other small business owners and hearing their stories. If you want to listen to any past episode, jump onto your podcast platform of choice and search Small Business Banter. There you will find a diverse and fascinating collection of small business owners and experts openly discussing and sharing their experiences. For any of the links, resources or information we've talked about on the show today or to contact me, please head over to smallbusinessbanter.com or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And it would be great to have you tune in the same time next week for another episode of Small Business Banter.